of Luke this morning, uh, looking at songs of light in a world of darkness. As I mentioned earlier, our, uh, we're taking a break from our Psalm sermon series, which we've been in uh, for quite some time, and uh, actually sort of continuing along a similar theme, looking at uh, songs uh, that show up, uh, songs and psalms and, and um, poetry that shows up in the uh, birth narrative throughout the Gospel of Luke. And so we'll be looking at that for the next four weeks uh, in this morning, focusing in on a song of light from a lowly servant girl. Uh, well, one of my uh, favorite authors over the last few years is uh, Henry Nouwen. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Henry Nouwen, but uh, his work has been incredibly helpful for me uh, personally and super influential. And so uh, Henry Nouwen, he, he um, was a uh, priest and uh, professor and teacher uh, at Notre Dame and then at Harvard for a long time. Uh, and then he moved from Harvard uh, to La Arche community uh, in Canada, in Toronto, and it's a community for adults with intellectual disabilities. And he was the pastor there for 20 years, uh, or 20, 20 or 25 years, the rest of his life, he was a pastor there. Um, Henry had spoken internationally, he had traveled a ton, he was a pretty well-known uh, author and individual already at this point, uh, and then went to this place uh, and he, uh, a lot of his books that have been super influential to, in my life were written during this season. Uh, and there's a lot of really hard things that he experiences in this place. Uh, and uh, the book, In the Name of Jesus, uh, Reflections on Christian Leadership, he says this about his time being there. He says, not being able to use any of the skills that had proved so practical in the past was a real source of anxiety. I was suddenly faced with my naked self open for affirmations and rejections, hugs and punches, smiles and tears, all dependent simply on how I was perceived at the moment. In a way, it seemed as though I was starting my life all over again. Relationships, connections, reputations could no longer be counted on. This experience was, and in many ways is, still the most important experience of my new life because it forced me to rediscover my true identity. These broken, wounded, and completely unpretentious people forced me to let go of my relevant self, the self that can do things, show things, prove things, build things, and forced me to reclaim that unadorned self in which I am completely vulnerable, open to receive and give love regardless of any accomplishments. This man who was an international speaker, well-known, lived the rest of his life in relative obscurity ministering to a small group of individuals who mostly did not have the ability to appreciate his intellectual gifts. It's a really compelling story, and it made his writing incredibly profound. And a writing that comes with a depth that's truly hard to communicate if you haven't read any of his work. It kind of just comes out in the work. He embraced the idea that his position in the world no longer mattered, and he embraced a posture of humility, all of it driven by a desire for the presence of God, not accolades. This morning, we want to look at another person who similarly was not anxious about their position in the world, embraced a humble posture, and encountered the deep presence of God. And our question this morning is, are we willing to do the same? 
Are we willing to do the same? Are we willing to not be anxious about our position in the world? To embrace a humble posture in order to encounter a deep presence of God. This Advent season, we're going to be looking at these songs of light in a world of darkness as we anticipate the Christmas uh, anticipate Christmas and celebrating the birth of Jesus. And this morning, this song of light comes from a lowly servant girl, Mary, the mother of Jesus. So uh, let's read from Luke chapter one, starting in verse forty-six. This is after this. This comes right on the heels of uh, we we heard the narrative earlier uh, that uh, Derek read for us uh, that the angel has announced to Mary that she will give birth to a son, and then she goes and travels to Elizabeth's home, her uh, relative, and uh, Elizabeth. Uh, is overjoyed as soon as Mary arrives. Um, she greets uh, Mary and uh, Elizabeth's child, John the Baptist, which we'll talk about throughout this sermon series as well, leaps within her, and she is filled with the Holy Spirit, and she cries out, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? And immediately after this, Mary responds in this song of praise to God. Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever." This song is uh, famous, it's uh, Magnificat is the the name of the song in Latin, and it's a pretty famous song that Mary has uh, that is well known. Uh, But I want to look at a few of the things surrounding what Mary experiences here. First, I want to look at Mary's position before God. She says, for he took notice of me. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. She is a lowly servant girl. But she says, all generations will call me blessed. For us to think about Mary's position before God, we need to remember that Mary's experience here is different than how we view Mary now. Throughout all generations in the church, Mary has been called blessed. Uh, there are several controversies throughout church history in which uh, whole uh, divisions happen around the nature of Mary and uh, whether or not we can call her the bearer of God. There's a great uh, theological controversy over the word theotokos in Greek, meaning bearer of God. Uh, does she bear God? How how does this work? All of these questions surround this, and Mary receives high status, certainly uh, high status in the Roman Catholic tradition, uh, but also throughout church history has received high status. And because of the way in which Mary receives high status in the Roman Catholic tradition, it's often true that Protestants 
we neglect Mary more than we should. That we don't give her the proper respect that she does deserve to call her blessed because we react negatively to the way in which the Roman Catholic Church has, has maybe made some errors around Mary. But we do want to give her the proper respect. When Gabriel comes to her, he calls her favored woman. He says, you have found favor with God. And so we may think that Mary has a high status with God and a high status in the world. She's thought of all over the world. However, in the moment that Mary is saying this, she does not have any of that position. The truth is that Mary was very poor. Mary was very young. Mary was disgraced through this process. She was lowly. She, had, she was unlikely for this role. If you were to really lay out the story of God coming to dwell with His people, you wouldn't write it this way. Like, no one looking at this story looks at Mary and says, yep, well, we saw that one coming. Right? You know, like when you see a really high-quality athlete and then you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, their parents were really high-quality athletes. Like, anytime you guys look at Tycho and you're like, yeah, his dad, right? Like, that's, like, we automatically think, like, okay, there's this thing going in this direction. This is the way it goes, right? No one looking at this story says, Mary, that's the one we choose to bear the Son of God. We actually don't even know anything about her parents. We don't really know anything about her life before this. She had a low position in the world. An incredibly low position in the world. The question for us this morning is, do we embrace the position that God has put us in? As I shared earlier about Henry Nouwen, Henry's story is super challenging because he had received high position and then he gave it up for a low position. And, and we honor him now, and he has a lot of famous writings. Now, he did not experience any of that in his lifetime. He spent the rest of his life among a group of people that didn't know who he was or care who he was, but simply cared that he was present with them as their pastor. Do we embrace the position that God has put us in? Whatever position you're in in life, do you embrace that position? What if it's not the position that you desire? What if your life doesn't look like you thought it would? Or what if it is exactly what you wanted, but you're so afraid it will just crumble in an instant? You're so afraid that you'll lose the position that you have in the world, or that it will get taken away. We are constantly bombarded with subtle and not-so-subtle temptations to struggle, to hustle, to run towards, and to care about our positions in the world. And not just in big places, right? You may be thinking like, no, if you knew my life, 
My position in the world is not big. Well, it's actually easy to assume a very big position in a very small place. We actually all struggle with this temptation to assume big positions even in small places. What if the influence that you wanted to have, the training, the skills, whatever it is, you don't feel like you have it because you spend your days at home with children. And that feels thankless and crazy. Or because you are in a job that isn't the job you want and you feel like you're overqualified for. And you should have a better opportunity. And yet God has you here. What if the, the position that you hold in your family is one that you don't want? God has put you in a position where you play peacemaker in various roles throughout the holiday season. And you don't want that. What position has God put you in where you're unsure that you want to be there. And, and this can cause a significant amount of anxiety and stress for us because we are struggling to figure out our position in the world. That, that can certainly relate to our family position, our, our job position, our social position in a group of people, or our economic position. Because our positions are ultimately about power. And whether or not I have the power to exercise what I believe that I, I, I want to do or what I believe even God is calling me to do. Uh, in, uh, this, in, in the book I mentioned earlier in the name of Jesus, Henry Nouwen says this, what makes the temptation of power so seemingly irresistible? Maybe it is that power offers an easy substitute for the hard task of love. Seems easier to be God than to love God. Easier to control people than to love people. Easier to own life than to love life. So often our struggle with the position that God has put us in is because we don't think we have the power to control the circumstances of our lives. And when we don't have the power to control the circumstances of our lives, we don't like the position that God has put us in. And we want something different. And if we could just have the power to control it, we would certainly do a better job. We would certainly have the ability, and even sometimes, uh, this, this quote from Henry that I just read is in the context of talking about even the ways in which we say, well, if we just had the power to influence the world for Christ. Like if, we just like if I was in control and had more power and influence, I would use it for good for the kingdom for sure. That temptation to disregard the position that God has put us in in order to strive for something more, to strive for more power rather than to sit in the position that we have. Mary was in a lowly position. And rather than struggle in her lowly position, Mary had a posture of humility towards God. At the end of the passage that Derek read for us this morning, said, Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. She was a humble servant. 
She calls herself a lowly servant girl. This song that she sings is a song all about the lights that God is bringing in the world. Not about Mary or her accomplishments or anything that she does. It's about what God is going to do. And what does she say in the midst of it? She says that God is going to exalt the humble and scatter the proud. You see, when Mary has a posture of humility towards the Lord, sometimes we think of humility as this good added extra. It's like, you know, there's all these other things that God cares about, and humility, that's like a bonus. That's a bonus point. There are a few things that God says He opposes, but the proud is one of them. That it says that He will exalt the humble, but He will scatter the proud. Humility is not a bonus. It's essential for the Christian life. It's essential to have a humble posture before God. Because God opposes the proud. Do we share a humble posture before God? Do we share that? Well, depends on the day, right? Depends on whether or not we're anxious about our position and power in the world or accepting that before God. Are we willing to sit in humble posture before God? Because all of that humble posture before God for Mary results in Mary's presence with God. He said, she says, for he took notice of his lonely servant girl. He took notice. You see, Mary in this story isn't simply a vehicle, this useful tool to bring the divine son into the world. No, God noticed her. God noticed her. He saw her. Do you see yourself as someone with merely a position before God, but not one who is seen, who is loved, who is known by God? Mary, she was noticed by God. And she didn't forget it. Uh, throughout the Gospel narrative, there's these little phrases that come up, and one of them is in Luke 2, after uh, Jesus is in the temple and they can't find Him and all these things happen. They returned to Nazareth with them. Uh, Jesus returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And His mother stored all these things in her heart. Mary's posture of humility let her not be held back by her lowly position, but to store up the presence of God with her. She didn't care about her lowly position because she got the presence of God. She sings this song of lights, a song about the work that God is doing because she gets the presence of God. One of the books that come out of Henry's time at La Arche is The Return of the Prodigal Son. And in that book, if you haven't read that, it's my favorite. I highly, highly recommend it. But in that book, he talks about the, the deep struggle that he himself has about coming 
and experiencing the presence of God. And this whole thing that he does is about him experiencing the presence of God. He's okay giving up everything that he has worked for and earned if simply God calls him to do something because he wants the presence of God. Mary is the same way. She has this humility to sing this song of light about what God is doing because she wants his presence. This humility, humility is not a a degrading of yourself, but a thinking about yourself less. Why think less about yourself? So that you can be overwhelmed with the presence of God. She, Mary, wants to be overwhelmed by the presence of God with her. Because the reality is that God is doing something here. God is doing something here. Mary is a super important character in this narrative. She's a great model for us. One for us to remember and know. But Mary is singing a song about a light. She isn't the light. Her son, Jesus, is the light. And Jesus is God's presence with us. God Himself coming to dwell with us. The glory of the Incarnation, this doctrine that we celebrate at the uh, Christmas season, this idea that God took on flesh and became a man in the person of His Son Jesus, the glory of the Incarnation is that God dwells with us. And the craziest part of it is that we get the presence of God because of Jesus' posture in the Incarnation because He gives up His glorious position to come and be born of Mary. I mean, this might be the craziest thing that we believe as Christians. Think about it. God, the eternal God, creator of all, comes to earth. And does not just come to earth, he comes to earth not as a glorious being. He could have taken any form. He takes that of a human. And not just a human, he takes it as a baby. The God of the universe becomes a baby. And not just a baby, but a baby born in lowly Israel. Not Rome, the superpower of the world at the time. Not in a prince's palace. Baby in lowly Israel. And not just in Israel, in Nazareth. Remember what they say of Jesus? What good can come from Nazareth? And not just in Nazareth, but to a lowly family in Nazareth. Son of a carpenter. And not just a baby to a lowly family, but a baby born not even to a full family. A baby born out of wedlock. Now, certainly, right? We believe in the virgin birth, right? Scriptures are accurate in what they say. The Holy Spirit came upon Mary and He was born... Uh, of her. But Jesus never lives down the mockery that comes 
It shows up in places throughout the Gospels when he's teaching and the religious leaders come against him. They talk about his illegitimate birth. Mary never lived that down. In that culture, can you imagine embracing the position that she had? We never see any defense of her. Never see any defense Jesus offers of Himself. Only the Gospel writers tell us later of the virgin birth experience, but we don't see any of these interactions. Mary had to live with that. And Jesus willingly took that family as His. Not just a baby born out of wedlock, but a baby born in poverty. Not just a baby born in poverty, but a baby born in an age without modern medicine. He could have been he could have chosen to be born in this age. He could go to a hospital to give birth. Right? And not just a baby born without modern medicine, but born in a stable. Like, really born. I have five children. I've witnessed birth. I would not choose that. That's not what I would choose. Jesus... Came, became really human. The only human DNA that he takes is that of Mary. It's really born of Mary. Of, one, uh, of her substance. That's what the creeds say. Right? Really born of Mary. Not like... Jesus didn't do this thing where he said, hey, I see... Those poor humans over there that have these problems, let me send something for them. He says, no, I will come among them. I will take on flesh. I will take it on myself. Jesus, the one with the greatest position, takes the lowliest humble posture in order to give us His presence. This is simply the most mind-blowing thing. This story of Christianity is too good not to be true. It's too wonderful and awe-inspiring. Encounter to every intuition in us that we would not choose to do these things for anyone. And yet God does it for us. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you're not trusting in Jesus and Him alone for salvation, this is something you've got to wrestle with. Because history attests that Jesus was a real person. What are we going to do with Him? you got to do something with Him. And these stories fit a bigger narrative in which God is doing something in the world. God is doing actually the very thing He promised to do. Mary says, the end of her song, for he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. What is this promise that God made? Well, if you've been around City Hope for a while, you know we love talking about the covenant with Abraham because it's super important. God says, I will confirm my covenant with you, speaking to Abraham, and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. This is the promise. 
From Genesis all the way to Revelation, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among His people. He will live with them and they will be His people. God Himself will be with Him. This is the promise in Revelation. God, the promise that He has made to His people is that He will dwell with them. And here, God is making a way. He is dwelling with us. That's why this truth about Jesus coming to dwell with us, the incarnation, is an invitation for us to experience the presence of God. To come and to know the God of the universe. This is an invitation to salvation. That God, not only does He come to be born as a man, to be born as a baby, then to grow up as a man, but then He goes to a cross to die in our place. Takes an even more humble position to die for sins that He didn't commit for the very people that He wants to give His presence to. The very people that are going to run from Him over and over again. You and I. And He does all of that because he takes notice of you. Because he knows you. He knows everything about you. He sees you. And he loves you. And he wants you to be in his presence. He wants you to come and to be in his presence. The glory of the gospel is not forgiveness of sins. That's wonderful. Forgiveness of sins is wonderful only because it gives us the presence of God. Only because it gives us the real gift, Jesus Himself. Only because it gives us access to the God of the universe who loves us. And here's the point. When we're anxious about our position in the world and not focused on having a humble posture before God, we miss out on the most important thing in the universe. God's presence. God's presence with us. We may not have the favored position that Mary holds, though she didn't hold it in her lifetime, for sure. But if we will have the same humble posture that she displayed, we will experience the same intimate presence with Jesus. I don't know what God has for you in your life. I don't know what He's doing. Whether you're in a place where you are happy and content with your position in the world or whether you're really struggling. I don't know. And I don't know what He's going to do with that. I don't know if He's going to change that. I don't know if He's going to call you somewhere else. Or change anything about your circumstances. I cannot promise any of that. But I do know that his point is not simply to make you a useful tool in the kingdom so that he can accomplish what he wants to in the world. No, he sees you. He has noticed you. Actually, if an angel were to come and to speak to you, he would greet you and say, Oh, favored one. Because the Son of God came to earth to live for you and die for you. You are the favored one of the Lord. He sees you. He 
notices you. He loves you. He actually dwells in you by the Spirit. He has come to make His home among you, His people. He loves you. So I can promise you this. If you would humble yourself and take a humble posture before God, you can experience the best thing in the universe. And that's the presence of God. Regardless of your position, regardless of any of your circumstances, you can today, in this season of Advent, experience the presence of God. And once you taste that, you will want only that. And so, for us, we need to experience and taste that presence of God and then make every decision not about our position, but about getting more of that presence. No matter what it costs us, no matter where it takes us, no matter what God calls us to be a part of, let's get more of His presence. Let's get more of His presence. Let's dwell in His Word. Let's spend time with one another, encouraging each other in the Spirit, in fellowship with one another, pointing each other to the light. Because we are living in a place of darkness. And that darkness so easily invades our lives and overwhelms us to where we cannot see the light. And what we need is someone else to come and tell us that there is a light and that He loves you. Let's run to the presence of the Lord and enjoy Him. And let Him sort everything else out. Let Him sort out our position in the world. Let Him do those things. Let's take a humble posture and run to the presence of Jesus. Let's do that together in this Advent season. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to You now and we beg for Your Spirit to be at work. We so easily can say, even in this moment, yes, Jesus, I want Your presence, but as soon as we walk out of here, we forget it and we want our power and position in the world to change. Jesus, would You captivate us that we would taste and see your goodness here this morning and we could not get enough that we would just run to it and Jesus that you would show yourself to us and that we like Mary would store it in our hearts that we would love you and out of that love you would show us the way pray these things in Christ's name amen